All right, guys, we have a very special guest. In fact, a celebrity amongst us today. That is no other than our very own Roy Carruthers. <laughs> Let me explain. This is really exciting, you guys. Okay, so two weeks ago, Rory and I were just chit-chatting before recording another episode, and Rory drops this bomb on me. He's like, oh, yeah, that, that reminds me of the time that I was on Happy Gilmore. What? <laughs> Wait, what? Rory, do you mind telling us about the time you were a child star actor? <laughs> and, and please tell us, like, we hear a lot of things about Adam Sandler in general, right? Like, is he a nice guy to work with? Is he mean? Like, who the heck is Adam Sandler? Did you have a good experience? And tell us all about being on the set of Happy Gilmore, because I need to know. Okay, that's a lot <laughs> to unpack there. <laughs> oh, where to begin? Okay, let's let's go back to the beginning. So. <laughs> My mom always wanted me to like experience different things when I was growing up. So she like she decided like, oh, I'm I'm gonna get Rory into playing soccer and basketball and volleyball and oh, and we'll get him into like doing acting and like I, I just did so many things because she just wanted me to do like do these things to see what I liked and gravitated toward. And so she had signed me up with a talent agency and for like a year I didn't get any calls. And then one day out of nowhere, get this call from the talent agency and they're like, we need you to actually come down today because we, we need you tomorrow. We need you to come down today because we need the director just to, to check and make sure that you're going to work. But we think you're going to work for, for this because we have an emergency situation going on on in this movie. And so my my grandparents loaded me up in the car. We we drove into Vancouver. Uh, if you don't know, I'm from Vancouver, Canada. And they took me to this house, and they were filming uh, this movie. And the casting people are there, and they're you know they meet them, and they're like, oh, you know, come meet the the director for this movie that we're working on. You know, they're tell me a little bit about the movie, but I'm like, I don't know, 13 at the time, so I'm like okay, whatever, like, I don't know really what's going on. But we go in the house, I meet the director, he's nice. He's, he's just kind of like, oh yeah, this is what we're doing. He just shows me around a little bit. He's like, I think you're going to be great. What did they make you do for that? Audition? Literally nothing. <laughs> they just wanted to see what you look like? Yeah, because, well, one, because it was so much a situation of an emergency and two, being that, they just needed someone that looked like could do the part. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit more about the audition process and what that looked like. Because you mentioned the grandma's house, but is there like more to that or what? Well, yeah. I mean, the house that I went to for uh, to meet the director at, like that was the grandma's house. That was they were actually filming those scenes where Adam Sandler is out in the yard doing crazy, <laughs> mm -hmm. crazy things. Just it was interesting because you don't realize it at the time when you're just like walking up to this house and and seeing it. But then when I saw the movie, I was like, oh, yeah. And, you know, and, and so many movies these days, they don't actually use real houses. Uh, they, they're always filmed on set. So it was yeah. nice to see that, that it was actually a real house. And I think that was just, you know, it was part of, you know, the budgeting and stuff. But uh, I thought it was really cool. Just, you know, and even looking back at it, you look at it and you go, oh, yeah, like that was, just, that was a cool experience. And that was it. So went back home, 
went to sleep <laughs> and woke up the next morning, went to the set. And I'd never, you know, really been on a set. This was the first time, like I said, that the they had called me and I was like, okay, I, you know, I don't really know what this is all about. So I was, I was feeling kind of lost, you know, <laughs> I was like, what do I do? And, you know, luckily there were some people there that, you know, they're like, okay, this is what we're going to be doing. You know, you're going to go into wardrobe. We've got to get you, you dressed, you know, and they started explaining the situation. They're like, you know, uh, a kid was hired to be in this movie called Happy Gilmore. He's very sick and he's not able to continue doing the movie. He right now he's they're recording his lines for the movie. But you're going to have to do all the acting for him because he has to actually go to the hospital. So I was like, OK, let's let's do it. So they got me all dressed up in the same exact same stuff that he was wearing and and then I saw him walking off <laughs> as I was walking onto the set and I was like on the set and they're like, okay, this is Adam Sandler. You know, they introduced me to him. This is a guy named Carl Weathers, who at the time I didn't know who he was. They're like, this is Julie at the time, you know, it was Julie Bowen. I didn't know who she was. <laughs> I mean, Carl was really w well known, but at the time I didn't know who, who he was. Adam was on his, this was like kind of his breakout movie for him so mm -hmm. you know i i didn't understand like you know i was just like okay like cool we're, we're doing a movie right mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah i mean that was that was like the the beginning of it but yeah i mean what else are you wanting to know <laughs> well let's just go ahead and watch the clip because i'm sure everyone watching is gonna want to be like wait a minute when at what part of the movie because if you haven't seen happy gilmore i don't think we can be friends so for those of you that haven't you need to go watch it <laughs> It is by far one of the most ridiculous movies on the planet, but it's it's like feel good funny, right? And my husband Chris and I have watched it so many times and we laugh hysterically at this specific scene every single time. And so the fact that I've known Rory for I mean, well over a decade now, it's hilarious to know that like I was laughing at you Rory this entire time. <laughs> I mean that with love. Okay, so before you start the clip, mhm. Mm this this scene here okay so when i'm when i'm standing here mm -hmm. we shot this so many times because First of all, that's rory at the yeah that's that's me standing so there. to speak and and for those of you not watching rory what are you doing exactly here Walk okay through. basically i'm just trying to hit uh, a baseball yeah right and hit they re really really wanted me to hit the baseball okay and i played baseball i was actually pretty decent at it the problem was, is that machine that is shooting was not accurate at all. Like literally sometimes the ball would hit me. Sometimes it would hit the ground. Sometimes it would go flying above my head. There was no accuracy at all. So there was like, I mean, we tried probably a good 50 times to hit the ball and I could not hit it. And so, so the, eventually they just gave up. <laughs> and so this is what they ended up with. Okay. So here's, yeah. here's the whole scene. Don't worry about it. Oh, yeah, yeah, bring that on, man. Oh, God, I love it. Awesome. Oh, God, I hurt a little, but I'm all right. Oh, my God, son, what the hell are you doing? 364 more days till next year's hockey trials. I got a tough up. Yeah! Oh, God, I felt good. Yeah! Come on, boy, cut that out. You're making me sick. Hey! So you're a hockey player, huh? Yeah. You gonna give that up? 
You're going to concentrate on golf. Who the hell are you? I'm the club pro here, Chubbs Peterson. And I'm offering to teach you how to play golf personally for free. No. You have no idea who I am, do you? No, I don't. Back in 1965, Sports Illustrated said I was going to be the next star of Palmer. Yeah, what happened? It wouldn't let me play on the pro tour anymore. Oh, I'm sorry. Because you're black? Hell no. Damn alligator bit my hand off. Oh, my God! Yeah, tournament down in Florida. I hooked my ball in the rough down by the lake. Damn alligator just popped up. Cut me down in my prime. He got me. But I tore one of that bastard's eyes out, though. Look at that. <laughs> you're pretty sick, Chubbs. I have never seen anybody <laughs> that all half as far as you can. You got real talent, kid. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I don't know why that cracks me up so much. I'm so, I am feel like such a terrible friend now. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you got to watch in, like, the context of everything. But, yes, that's that's you. That is that's you. me. Yeah. yeah. Now, okay, so a few things about, about that. Okay, so one of the things you would ask, is Adam Sandler nice? Yes, he, yeah. was, he was very nice, actually. Very, very funny and very supportive now one of the things that you know like after the movie came out like he must have been just testing material for billy madison at the time and and that that makes a lot of sense he was probably like thinking like oh i'm gonna be doing this next thing i need to like test these things out oh here's this kid like can i make him laugh with these things mm -hmm. right <laughs> mm -hmm. totally right so i was getting like a little bit of a preview of that <laughs> But I also remember he was smoking a lot of cigars at the time. <laughs> Guaranteed. Yep. Yeah. And drinking Pepsi. And I'm like, I, sw I swear, looking back on this, that they must have had some endorsement from Pepsi because he like literally would hold up the can and be like, I really like Pepsi. <laughs> <laughs> Just milking it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so who else yeah. were you on set with? Carl Weathers. Like Carl, you, he would take the, the eyeball. Uh -huh. And he kept trying to scare me with it. He'd like <laughs> pull it out and like show it to me and like like and then like the fake hand, he'd be like showing it to me and and stuff. He was he was really funny. He was great, wonderful person. And then there was Julie uh, Bone and 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 if you don't know who she is, the she's the mom on Modern Family. And at the time we did the movie, I mean, so you gotta think like she was probably in her maybe mid-20s at that point, mm -hmm. and she was so just like incredibly amazing I, I remember at some point it was it was getting closer to the end of the, the day i had to go to the bathroom and she's like oh you know like i'll walk you over to the to the bathrooms and stuff and she's just like talking to me like one as a real person about life and and just being like really kind about you know and being like you know like what are you like what are you wanting to accomplish in in life and things like that hmm. just like being really sweet and and thinking back like someone who to have that much awareness of I'm trying to think of like what like what the right words are here, but to have have that type of of depth at that age, I mean, that's amazing. She was always meant to play a mom role. It sounds like so. Modern Family was perfect for her. Yeah, absolutely. It also contrasts with another experience I had on the set, which wasn't great. So at lunch break, and this is this has been an experience that I've heard in the in the movie industry more than once okay at the lunch break what, what ended up happening is that i i went and i was having lunch with julie and there were a few other people adam adam and carl were off getting ready for the next scene and then julie was done with her lunch and she's like 
oh, you know, like you can you can go get more some more food, and I've got to go to my trailer and and change clothes for for my next scene. And uh, and so I was like, oh, okay, okay, yeah, I've seen a little bit. This was probably you know thirty minutes into lunch, and so I went up to the trailer, and you know, I mean, like everyone had gotten their lunch at that time. And I was just like, okay, oh, I get like another piece of chicken and, and a chocolate milk. I was really all about chocolate milk. And the reason I was about chocolate milk is because we never had chocolate milk actually in my house. Uh-huh. Like my mom would, would never buy it. So the only time I got chocolate milk was one day a week at school for one lunch, they would bring chocolate milk. So I was like, if I can get another chocolate milk, I'm getting another chocolate milk, right? <laughs> it's my time to shine. Yeah. So so they gave me another chocolate milk and another chicken breast. And I went back and I was starting to eat. And one of the pe- people who was like, I don't know if they were a production assistant or something came up to me and they were like really mean. And, and, and they were just like, you know, you have to wait until every single other person here has eaten before you can go get more, more food. Hmm. I'm like, they, I was just told to go get food mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure everyone has eaten here. So I was like really thrown off. And that's one of the things about like mm-hmm. the celebrity culture that I noticed is that a lot of celebrities are actually, actually like really nice themselves, but they're surrounded by people who think that they have to protect this image or the situation around them. Micromanaging around, it. Yeah. Managing it and mm-hmm. create this aura of like there's a hierarchy and if mm. you don't follow it then then you know there, then there's you know then you're not following falling in line you're not doing things right type of thing and that's one of those things where it was like it was a little eye-opening but i didn't really understand it until later in life and and it just makes me like think being successful doesn't mean you have to be a <laughs> right <laughs> are we allowed to say that yeah <laughs> how did this whole experience tie in to what you're doing now? Did it have like a a positive effect on what you're doing now, do you think? Well, yeah, and you know, I mean like with like Carl and Julie and Adam like I I truly feel like they deserve all of the success that they've had in their lives because going through an experience like that, especially at, at such a young age, it made me realize that you know, people can can be successful, can be kind, even if that's not necessarily how everything is portrayed in in the media, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And and it also it also showed that when you're put into those situations, you also need to understand how those situations work, mm-hmm. and to be able to stand up for yourself. You know, when I was like 13, I was like, "Ooh, like what's going on?" Right? I just want so chicken and chocolate milk. Yeah, and someone said that to me now, like. That would not fly, right? Yeah, sit down. I'm getting my chocolate milk. <laughs> right. As far as like a lesson, it's like to to think about is like when you're successful, you get to choose how you want to treat others, mm. and everyone else can then fall in line and follow your example. Mm. And if you don't like how you've been treated by someone else, then don't be that person when you're in that same position. Yeah. Absolutely. So just out of my own curiosity, and I'm sure other people are wondering, did you go on to do any other acting gigs or any other movies? Okay. So uh, a little bit. <laughs> All right. So, so after that, they called me up to be a double for Jonathan Taylor Thomas in a movie called uh, Man of the House. 
but I didn't actually get it because my hair wasn't long enough at the time. Ugh, rude. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Did you get to meet him? <laughs> no. So basically, like, you know, they, they brought me in, auditioned. Like, there was, like, a table full of people who all, like, we all looked somewhat similar. But there were people who just had longer hair. And what they were looking for is someone, like, at the time, Jonathan Taylor Thomas's hair was, like, you know, past his shoulders. And my mm-hmm. hair, although at the time, for, for whatever reason, I had actually grown out my hair just a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, probably like three inches shorter than what they were looking for. They're like, <sighs> you look about right for what we're looking for. But, you know, we even if we add extensions to this, it's just not going to look right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I missed out on that. But that would have been cool because uh, that was actually a pretty big movie at the, yeah. at the time. And then after that, they called me back for a movie, a William Shatner movie called The Prisoner of Zenda, Inc. And I don't know, not not his best. Because I've never heard <laughs> of it, I'm assuming so. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it ended up it ended up being a, a movie that ended up going straight to TV or something. But it was just an extra thing. It was like this movie. I think it was about like a dog playing baseball or something. I don't know. But baseball, I was brought in to play to play baseball in the outfield just as an extra. So, you know, spent the day doing that. I was just basically standing there waiting for a ball to come my way. Never, never did, was never hit toward me. So I just stood there. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I had always planned on doing more. But at the end of that, at, at the end of that shoot, I got pulled aside with a group of other kids from that. And the casting company came up to me and they're like, hey, you know, we've got this commercial and we're looking for kids to do it. And they're like, you have to smoke in the commercial, though. At the time, they didn't really do like the fake cigarette type of stuff. You had to actually smoke real cigarettes. Now, my grandmother was dying from emphysema. And I was just mm. like, there's no way I'm doing that. Like, I've seen how bad that is. I'm, I, I can't even stand the smell of smoke. I, I'm just, uh, I can't do that. Yeah. And the thing you learn <laughs> about Hollywood... <laughs> quote unquote Hollywood, wherever Hollywood is, the movie industry, is that you say no to something, they stop calling you. (laughs) Put it on the shelf. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a a great example of that is like James Vanderbeek from Dawson's Creek. Mm -hmm. He he thought that, oh, like, you know, I had this hit show. I get to choose my options. He said no to like a couple of things that came his way. I mean, his career just tanked. No one called him anymore just because he said no a couple of times. That can happen. So it's it's a very, I guess, fickle industry, you could say. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. They're so, on to the next best thing. Who's yeah. younger. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that was pretty much the end of it. And and we were getting mo- ready to move to California anyway. And when I moved to California, it was just like a whirlwind of like high school and fast yeah. cars and women and, you know. <laughs> being, being a young man. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But what a cool experience. I just thought, I thought our listeners would get a kick out of that. Just, I, I know my own reaction. And when I told Chris that you were in Happy Gilmore, he, same exact reaction, like, what? (laughs) 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 Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where I'm going to have to like send our copy, our DVD, send it to you to sign in and send it back. (laughs) You know, people are probably going to look up in the, in the credits and be like, you know, your name is not in there. And, and I think you asked me about this. Yeah. What's the story with that? If you're, if you're a stand-in at the time, they so, well, there. technically it's not a stand-in. So technically I was a double. So that's <clears throat> what they billed me as. Okay. And I don't know if this has changed in recent years, but at, at the time, anyone who was a double 
they did not put in the credits. It reminds me of like in the music industry back before like 1980 or so mixing engineers who are the ones who level everything and make everything sound great on an album. Hmm. They weren't listed. Hmm. Hmm. It wasn't, you know, even though they did all the work for the fifties, the sixties and the seventies, they were never listed. Hmm. It wasn't until the eighties when the mix engineer became like almost like a superstar of, of the industry because they were able to do phenomenal things, making music sound great Mm -hmm. for the radio. Did they get recognized? It's kind of like that sometimes in the music industry. It's like, you know, they hire a a bunch of extras, you know, a thousand extras to fill a stadium. It's like all their names aren't in there. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's kind of like that. You have to like, think about it like that. The, the person who was hired for the job, they were paid. Their voice was used. I don't remember the guy's name, you know, so he is the one who got the credit. Mm. It was just happened to be me that filled in and did the actual on-screen acting part of it. Just the fact that you can say you did it. <laughs> and yeah. it's, it's very obvious it's you. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, there's that too. It's just, it's just fun. I just think it's fun to know that and try not to laugh as hard, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was a great experience overall. And, and like I said, Adam Sandler, Carl Weathers, Julie Bone, great people. They were the main people on the set. So Roy, let me ask you this. If you had not met Adam Sandler, but you only met his like crew around him and you had that like uncomfortable interaction when you were having lunch, would you have thought that Adam Sandler was the same just because just based on like his people that were around him or what, what was your take on that? Well, potentially. Yeah. I mean, like I said, some of the people there were nice, you know, they were kind of just like showing me what to do, but it it came out of left field when it was like, you know, like I wasn't following some unwritten rule that Mm -hmm. they had. Like, yeah, you know, it was like, and it was like not something I would have known. Right. Cause I'd never been on a set, but they kind of like expect you to know these, these rules and it, and it's like, one stupid first off mm-hmm. okay because that's like treating people as lower class citizens first yeah. off which is not cool and 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 two i mean it, it kind of brings up your point is that if the people that you hire and that are that you're surrounding yourself with aren't treating people the way that you would want to treat them then you've got an issue because that's a reflection of you 100% right absolutely i've met plenty of celebrities, whatever level they're at. And maybe they'll have like a bouncer who's just like really stern. Okay. The security that makes sense, but your actual people that are running around your assistants doing things like for you, if when, when, and if you ever get to that level, make sure they're kind. I've heard about like the, so many stories where it's like, Oh, like, yeah, I mean, sat down with, uh, with this, you know, person on a plane they were fantastic, but their assistant was just an a-hole, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. I had a really weird interaction. My sister and I went to go meet Jason Mraz before he did a show at the Fillmore in San Francisco. Mraz himself is amazing. Like, Jason is incredible. Really nice guy. And you could tell that he himself really wanted to connect with every single one of those people there. He, I mean, the guy, just like a huge heart. But the, his team just sucked. They were just so rude. And it could be that 
kind of playing like devil's advocate, right? Like bad cop, good cop. Jason easily could have been like, move these people along. There's only so much time. But I could tell that he, Jason himself, really felt that he wasn't getting the connection he wanted to with his fans. I understand that like there's, you know, there's protocol and things during a meet and greet and you get 20 seconds in a picture. Like I I understand how these things work because Rory and I have been in those positions. We get it. But it it's still like the unorganization and like the high stress vibe that his team provided all of us was so lame, so lame, so much so that they actually sent an email out after the event. Cause th- this event was for, it was giving back to the homeless. Like it was, it was a huge fundraiser that Jason did for free, but we paid, you know, quite a bit of money to get into this like private event where we would have like this private intimate sit down, hang with him. And so it was all for a good cause. And we were so happy to put our money there. But the point of them sending out this email at the end was like, how was your VIP interaction with Jason Raz? And I sent this very long email that was like, to be perfectly like honest, this was a terrible experience. And here's why. And I just listed it out. And their response back to me was like, I'm sorry. There was no like resolve. There was no like, hey, how about next time? Let's do this and that. And so back to just being in business and the customer service experience around things, just make sure you know what the heck your crew is doing and the way that they're responding to things. Like it's, yeah, that really, I I still have like a bad taste in my mouth from that whole experience. (laughs) It was really lame. It didn't have a reflection on Jason himself, which was good. He, He was able to like separate himself from the crew just enough where it was like, I've got nothing to do with those people. This is their event that they've put on. I'm just here, you know? But, but that, yeah. So, but that's, that's a different thing. That wasn't like, that was, that was like he was at an event that someone, yeah, put on. That wasn't like his crew that he, that is always around him. Right. So that's, that's a difference, right? Sometimes we're put into these situations where, you know, a crew is hired for us to do things, Mm -hmm. you know, especially like in the music industry where you show up at an event and like half the people that are there are not your crew, they're the venues. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and you don't have necessarily control over yeah who those people are yeah right and in that position, and, and sometimes you know you just have to deal with it and you do the best you can in those types of situations yeah with the people that you have who are your crew you get to choose those people and mm-hmm. you have to make sure that they you know are how you want to be represented they align and, with your brand yeah in line with your brand exactly that's a good way to put it thanks. <laughs> I've got some good one-liners occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it also reminds me of so man, we had this client. <laughs> oh no, that's never a good way to start something. Oh boy. <laughs> well, because I just remember how much uh, how weird situation it was. But so he was a um fashion designer. Oh, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this guy. Yeah. <laughs> And so I heard all the stories because he used to do all the clothes at the Oscars. Mm -hmm. And so he would just be telling me like, oh, this person, like, you know, like I can't look this person in the eye or, you know, if I speak to this person, then I'm going to get fired. Like these types of things, like some, some people get so much ego and so full of themselves Mm -hmm. that they think that they're above everyone else. Mm -hmm. And you don't always know it. Like, you think like the the persona that they put out into the world is 
oh, like, yeah, they're, you know, we're just like you, blah, blah, blah. Like, mm-hmm. But it's not, not when you get behind the scenes and see like that. Cause I've heard the stories I've, I've seen it just from the perspective of, you know, having clients that have worked with them. Right. And it's just, it's nuts. Like you would not believe <laughs> some well, of the, some of these, these stories. And unfortunately I can't go into it. Right. Confidentiality agreements, but, but it's, it's nuts. And, and it just, you know, it just goes back to like, if you find yourself in a position where you have been placed in, in a higher level of authority or status, then think about how you may not have been in that at some point and how you would have wanted wanted to have been treated. And what are you going to do now to treat people how you would have wanted to have been treated? It makes me think of a couple things. One, when I'm out in public, which is rare these days, but when I'm out in public, <laughs> I, I act as if I'm on camera all the time because in essence, we are. There's dash cams. People have cameras on their person all the time. You go in and out of stores. You're constantly being filmed, right? Every and, every corner, every traffic mm-hmm. light, there's a there's a camera. Like, oh, yeah. very hard to get away from a camera these days. Yeah. So they're everywhere. For those of you who didn't know you were being watched, sorry to be the one to tell you, but that's the <laughs> deal. So there's there's that aspect, right? Where it's you only get you only get one opportunity to make a first impression. So. I've been in situations doing shows, actually, like in the Christian music industry. I, I did quite a few shows back in the day. And I remember showing up to one venue in particular where I was like heated. I was pretty upset about a situation that I was dealing with at the time. Like my gear didn't show up. It was just kind of a nightmare. And I was getting, I was getting upset. And I could tell that the crew that was there to help us that day saw me and they were like, oh boy, like avoid her. She's not nice. Or they, they took it personal. Because these people are there and they're excited to see you. And these people were excited to see me, like my band at the time. So I recognized that in the moment, took a deep breath. And I was like, okay, let me just get recentered here and like introduce myself properly and shake hands and smile and pictures and all that stuff and just like change it. So there's sometimes you'll find where that opportunity will present itself and take it because those people could have gotten on Twitter. I think Twitter was the thing at the time. And said whatever thing they wanted to say about my band at the time, you know, but instead there's like me smiling, happy picture, (laughs) you know? So there's, there's a lot of different opportunities and situations you might find yourself in, but the, but the camera thing, like I just, I go about my life now, just knowing that I'm being watched all the time. This does make me think though. So Rory and I were doing some consulting for a mutual client. And so we went out to Dallas, spent a long weekend there and just was working with the client. And on the way back home, we were leaving Dallas and Rory had gone through security and check bags and all that. And I hung back, I think, because I had some stupid fancy shoes on that I needed to take off. It took forever. And I put everything up to go through the metal detector. And in front of me, this very beautiful, sweet woman turns around and hands me one of the bins. I was like, do you need this? It's like, thanks. It's like, you're welcome. And then I looked and it was Selena Gomez. And she was really, really sweet. But I could tell she was exhausted. She didn't have any makeup on. She was totally exhausted. And the security details that she had around her, they were watching me like crazy. So we had very like minimal words back and forth, but she, you know, how are you? Oh, good. How are you? Oh, safe flight, that kind of stuff. But I didn't even stop to ask, are you Selena Gomez? Because I knew, 
you know, can I get an autograph? There was none of that. It was just, you're a human. I'm a human. We're flying. We're just <laughs> like getting through this day. But of course, as soon as I got on the other side, I was like, Rory, oh my God, it's Selena Gomez. <laughs> and I think you watched her walk away, right? You're like, oh. Yeah. I looked over. I was like, yep, that's Selena Gomez. <laughs> <laughs> there she is. But the, the point of me sharing that is just how kind she was, but also exhausted. And I, I knew what am I going to do? Stop and be like, I love you. No, like, you know, you're tired. Safe flight. Most people don't understand whether you own a business or whether you're a you know, musician or an actor or whatever it is, how much you actually put into what it is you're what doing. You do. yeah. When you work a job, I'm not saying you, you don't put a lot in, but you know, a lot of people who who are working jobs, they they show up, they they clock in, whether it's eight or nine in the morning, and they clock out at at you know five. And I mean, it's a little different now that everyone's working from home, but that's pretty much the end of the day. I mean, you, they can turn their phone off or whatever, and they don't have to think about it until they wake up the next morning. Yeah. But as as business owners, as entertainers, we're always always thinking about how are we helping our clients? Mm -hmm. How are we getting our message out to the world? Yeah. You know, I mean, when we were writing music, we were always thinking about like, how can we improve this song? How can we improve this marketing strategy that we're doing? How can we get more views on this video? How can we improve this radio promotion thing that we're doing? Whatever it is, mm -hmm. it was constant. And, you know, and then you're on top of that, especially like when you're doing music, then you're, you're, playing those same songs over and 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 I mean over and 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 over again. Right. And then over again. Yeah. Not only just in the studio, but then when you go and play them live for the next, you know, 30 years or whatever, um, 50 if you're the Rolling Stones. You know. So you like you think about that and it's like you don't always understand the toll you can say okay well yeah like got lots of money or or whatever but that's still a lot to take on for anybody and and to just constantly i like i know being on the, on the road is is like one of the hardest things it's one of the reasons that i like i didn't want to be on the road as a touring musician anymore is because it's very stressful mm -hmm. you don't sleep well you're constantly in beds that aren't yours you don't feel like you ever are off. You're like, you're always constantly on because you're always dealing with venues. You're always dealing with, with fans. You're always working on new music. You're dealing, interacting with your band. There's just, you know, you're doing interviews all day long. It just never stops. So like when you say like that she's tired, it's like, yeah, she's tired. Of course she is. She's been going nonstop. She's probably just did like 30 interviews that day yeah. while you know probably just finishing a performance getting on a flight to go to our next one it's like it's not yeah. stop it the yeah. the adrenal just depletion has to be so intense for celebrities at that level you know but yeah it's having all that energy come at you all the time is really intense so it's the energy you give out right you're like i have so much i've got to get done but then when you're receiving, I don't know if you experienced this, Rory, but when I was doing music on stage a lot, it was like all this, it was just bombardment wow. of like all these different energies. Some are excited and happy. Some are angry. Some are, it's just like, whoa. So the shields that you have to actually put up to get stuff like that done and accomplished and done well, whew, 
It's a lot. It's very hard for me because I'm very empathic. So I feel people's uh, energies very strongly. So Mm -hmm. when I'm put like in a room full of people, it's very overwhelming Mm -hmm. for me. Yeah. And I start like sensing everybody's energies. I don't know. I just get very overwhelmed very easily. So in, in situations like that, like I, I realized that that type of lifestyle actually doesn't, doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. I have to have downtime like every single day Yeah, away from the kids, away from my wife, away from you. Now, you know, <laughs> you're, you're great. <laughs> but like, <laughs> like it has to be like, just I have to like block it all out mm-hmm. and have like me time. If I don't, I get like way overwhelmed and not able to function. At least you know that about yourself. I'm dealing with some serious mommy work burnout hard (laughs) and truly like we're at, at the end of my days, I was like watching movies and even that was too much. It's like, I just need Mm -hmm. to be super quiet and just like shut off all screens and just like hang out with myself (laughs) because it's, yeah, it's, it it can be a lot, a lot sometimes. This is so random. It is. Yeah. <laughs> this took a turn. It Where did this really come from? Did. <laughs> how did we get from Adam Sandler and Happy Gilmore and your acting career to taking time for oneself? Well, <laughs> my my career, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> a true celebrity, like I said, everybody. Thank you so much for taking this time with us today. Yes, this was a random topic, but I just, it was so important to me that all of you know that Rory was on Happy Gilmore. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was another great episode and we've got another one coming up where we are interviewing Matthew Comfer about learning to lead and he shares his three-step decision-making framework so that you can make the right decisions in your business. As a side note, Matthew has a great TED Talk. So I asked him to share his best tips for creating an engaging TED Talk so that you can do the same. So make sure to check out that interview. And I know you are absolutely dying to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, so you have my permission. Go do it now. Do it now, seriously. Can you tell this is my serious voice? All right, see you in the next one.